You're listening to the Inside Out Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production and powered by Midwest Sports. Welcome to The Belt, our latest mini-series here at Cracked Rackets. And for some of you Cracked fans, you may remember this as an article series we published back in 2017 looking at the best American men tennis players throughout the course of the Open era. We wanted to re-examine that now, talk about those Americans, run that series in podcast form. This is going to be a multi-part series. We're going to start all the way back with Arthur Ashe, work our way through to the next genres you're seeing now, and we hope you're going to get a better perspective on what has been an incredible, illustrious history of American men's tennis. But for now, we hope you enjoy the belt. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In 2013 and 14, Bill Barnwell of Grantland wrote a series of columns awarding hypothetical championship belts to the best running backs, quarterbacks, and pitchers on a year-to-year basis in their respective sports histories. In team sports, athletes' legacies are often reduced to the total number of titles their team won during their career. So as to hone in on the individual, Barnwell's column recognizes athletes whose greatness transcended their position. However you want to slice it, in terms of in terms of this status as a global icon, in terms of what they contributed to the sport, to popular culture, to to the levels they attained on the court, it's Jordan. And by the way, I think he's also the best of I'm all. Trying to be- by any metric, Tom Brady's legacy is cemented. His greatness, unquestioned. I mean, the guy, he's literally what everybody's striving to be when it comes to longevity. These athletes set a standard of excellence for all who played at the time and all who would play the position in the future. The championship belt, according to Barnwell, belonged to the guy who would be considered by most fans of the league as the best. To put that in an abstract way, let's say a group of alien invaders came tomorrow and said, Hey, Earth, give us your best tennis player. The belt would belong to the player we would nominate to represent us. The purpose of this series is to determine which American male at any given time in tennis history held the mantle of being the best American man in tennis. American men have won over 200 of the men's singles, men's doubles, and mixed doubles grand slams played in the open era. Names like Arthur Ashe, John McEnroe, and Pete Sampras don't just resonate with American tennis fans, they transcend the sport's illustrious history. 
I grew up watching and envying Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray, as did every other player and fan my age. However, as an American, I have always had a particular affection for American players. I've been fortunate enough to watch Serena and Venus dominate on the women's circuit for more than a decade, yet I cannot remember witnessing an American male win a Grand Slam singles title. I became a diehard American tennis fan the day I saw Marty Fish reach the gold medal match at the Olympics in Athens. However, since that day, I have anxiously waited for a potential American male single slam champion to emerge. I admire today's greats, but I continue to yearn for the day when an American player sits atop the ATP rankings. Tomorrow marks the 50th anniversary of the first U.S. Open tennis tournament here in New York. The main stadium at the Flushing Queens facility is named for the first winner of the tournament, African-American tennis champion Arthur Ashe. But while players like the Williams sisters and Sloan Stevens have dominated American women's tennis for the last 20 years, American men have not fared nearly as well. It's been years since Andy Roddick played in the U.S. Open Finals, the last Grand Slam championship won by an American male. I have decided to apply a modification of the Barnwell method to determine the best American tennis player at any given point throughout the open era. The ATP ranking system catalogs each match, propelling players up or down depending on their results. And while these year-end rankings reflect the totality of each player's performance during that season, they do not fully represent the extent to which certain players dominate on a given year. Take Roger Federer's 2017 season, for example. He won two of the season's four Grand Slam titles, won a total of 44-4 and four overall on the season, and won seven of the 12 events he played in. Nobody could have seen this coming. Roger starting his year by winning the Australian Open and then sweeping the Sunshine Double, Indian Wells, and Miami, starting the year 19-1, his best start since 2006. It's incomprehensible. Beyond that surface-level success, he also put together a 4-0 record against his biggest rival and that season's year-end number one, Rafael Nadal, in their four encounters during that 2017 season. Yes, Rafa played six more events than Federer and went 65-10 and himself on the year, and I'm certainly not trying to diminish what he accomplished during that 2017 season. But when I tell you that both guys won two Grand Slams, both guys won over five titles on the season, and Federer was the one who went 4-0 in their head-to-head matches. Don't you think it's fair to argue that Roger had the better season? Here's the criteria I used in judging each of these players. Number one, Grand Slam titles. It feels kind of obvious, but if you weren't winning slams, you're not going to qualify for this competition. Number two, year-end rankings. Where were you finishing? Was it number one, the number two American? Certainly you had to finish in the top three to qualify. And if you were top 10, top five, even number one in the ATP, that would help you out as well. Number three, popularity amongst fans. Yes, this is a subjective quality, but were Sports Illustrated writing about you? Did we see your pieces in the New York Times? As you were playing matches, did your success resonate with the fans? While subjective, it's certainly something we factor in in these rankings. Number four, Davis Cup success. It seems fairly obvious, but Davis Cup is one of, if not the only, team competition played together by American men. 
were you leading those American men's teams? How many Davis Cup titles did you bring home for our country? All of those sorts of things also factor in if you were the face of American men's tennis. Number five, success on the American Junior Tour. People like Colette Lewis now make it seem that much more obvious, but even back in the day, events like the Easter Bowl, the Orange Bowl, Kalamazoo, were producing eventual top pro players. Did any of these players win Kalamazoo? Were they top juniors? That certainly factored in building up their clout and probably helped them in category number three with their popularity amongst fans, and that's why it's part of the criteria we included in this exercise. And last but not least at number six, head-to-head records. Again, were you beating your fellow Americans? Were you beating the other top players at the time? If you weren't, how can I call you the best American man? This will play a crucial role as we go on and on in this exercise. The opinion in this series are, of course, my own, and I am happy to debate them with any person kind enough to listen to this podcast. Apologies to Bill Tilden, who had 14 slams in the 20s and 30s, Don Budge, 10 slams in the 30s and early 40s, Pancho Gonzalez, 14 slams in the 50s and 60s. They won their slams prior to 1968, when only amateur men could play in those tournaments. While those three men were not considered when charting the history of the best American male tennis player, it is worth noting that Bob and Mike Bryan, John McEnroe, Pete Sampras, and Jimmy Connors are the only other American men to have won more than 10 Grand Slams. With that being said, the series will start in 1968, when the two are finally agreed to let professional male tennis players participate in Grand Slam events. With that in mind, we hope you enjoy our newest series here at Cracked Rackets, The Belt. So that's our introduction, folks. Hopefully you are all as excited for this series, The Belt, as we are. If you want a sneak peek to read ahead, be sure to go check out the article form of this podcast on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Want to give a couple of quick shout-outs before we wrap up. Shout-out to Blue Claw Music and Thomas Ackley for their song, America the Beautiful, hip-hop track remix, which we will be featuring throughout this series. And if you like it, be sure to go check out their YouTube channel as well. They deserve all the support they can get shout out to our super producer daniel westoff for the of an editing job he continues to do day in day out that's our introduction but part one of the series coming up right away and we are so excited to introduce our first winner of the belt arthur ash